You're listening to Exceptions Welcome, the podcast for programming bootcamp graduates and other new or early career software developers. We're your hosts, Ben Wellhelm and Colin Miller. We're a couple of self-taught developers with 25 years of experience between us, and we met as bootcamp instructors. Uh, we thought there was more to be said after the graduation day. We're talking today with Mary Warwick and Aurora Vaughn about the differences they've experienced working at a small startup versus a large corporate environment. So Aurora, are you are you working with a stack that differs significantly from the stack you learned in your bootcamp? There's no overlap whatsoever. And how did you manage that transition? Um, so my first job was on the, the front end engineering, uh, working in React and TypeScript. And TypeScript is incredibly close to C-sharp. Combine that with um, having touched C-sharp. I did not learn C-sharp, <laughs> but I touched it in a uh, intro to programming course in my sort of exploration period. Those two things helped me get my foot in the door for working in a C-sharp ecosystem, um, mainly because I had worked with static typing and uh, consistently worked with static typing using TypeScript. The second part was I kept reading books around um, design patterns. I included object-oriented programming books and other things, which helped me get through the interview. And, and actually, just the being honest in those interviews where I said, hey, I've not actually done this, but here's what I've read. Here's what I understand about it. And just communicating that in my own words made a huge impact with the interviewers. You're speaking my language. That's what I <laughs> always advise people to do is, is to uh, be honest about what you know and what you don't know. Um, and you're saying that got you, that, that worked out well for you, eh? <laughs> <laughs> yes, absolutely. Uh, just being, trying to be as genuine as possible in those interviews, it, I think, really came across. And one of the things that I know I want from a team member right now is, if you don't know, please tell me so we can make sure that you learn it before you do something and and like we have to waste several weeks trying to fix it later <laughs> <laughs> yeah we've all been there i guess like a, a question that comes to mind for either mary or aurora is on this topic of technologies that you may have had to pick up along the way are there any sort of practices that you've had to pick up that you didn't really have the opportunity to, to do in a, like a limited in environment, like a school? Uh, I think client interaction has honestly been one of the most interesting things that's come out of it. Like, um, for example, we were bringing, uh, rides to people, our company, just to like give a background, our company does a non-emergency medical transportation. And so, uh, last year I was doing a project where we were bringing, you know, the transportation to rural Virginia. And uh, we had to have like a lot of interaction with the people who were using our software, like how are they using it? Um, <clears throat> and then also kind of like program for the real world. There's like a lot of addresses that don't exist on Google Maps. And like, how do you then like change your entire business strategy in order to accommodate this like special thing? So it's like these really specific implementation kind of details that you would never get in like the bootcamp setting. I don't think there was anything that could have prepared me for real life legacy code. <laughs> Fair. 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 
Yeah. Uh, expand on that. <laughs> oh, uh, I spent my Sunday evening um, going through and refactoring multiple functions that were over a thousand lines a piece uh, oh with God. variables named in the classic style of str for string and then like value <laughs> and giving it all meaningful mm -hmm. names because I w I've been working in this code base for a while and I'm so tired of having to rebuild my contexts for every time I come back. <laughs> um, so I'm actually, I'm, I'm really surprised. <laughs> really? Wow. I'm really surprised that you're able to like change and refactor so much. I would imagine like the system that you're working in is like so big and so old and like so dependent on each other that it would be really hard to change anything. So uh, the project I'm working on right now, I can't say too many like specific details, but it is a new API uh, for automating like provisioning in our system. Mm -hmm. And so what that that means is uh, I, I was re told to reuse a code base that existed that another group within. So this is sort of a benefit slash curse of a large organization, right? Um, when there's a big sweeping uh, project that everybody needs to accomplish, there are lots of opportunities for reuse between groups. Um, the problem was that the group that put this, this other API together did it long enough ago that all the standards had changed. So I ended up having to rework the code so much to get this new API stood up. And uh, one of the results of that is I have a lot of flexibility before it goes into production. After it goes into production, yeah, there's a lot of testing and um, intense scrutiny that it would come under. What are the what are the layers of testing there? I mean, I assume there's some some level of automated testing. Do you have, were yes. you lucky enough to inherit a code base with unit tests? <laughs> um, yes and no. Or are you at liberty to say? <laughs> yes. Well, it, it's yes and no, right? So, uh, huge portions of our test or of our code base are in like uh, stored procedures in a database or mm -hmm. vendor provided. Um, there are huge portions of our code base that has. That, that have like really great test coverage within them. And then uh, this is a new product or project that the, again, the code base that I inherited to like for reuse had um, probably 30 unit tests that only two of them worked whenever I got it. Um, so, I mean, now it has pretty good unit testing, <laughs> but yeah. when I got it, it, it was, uh, it, the tests were actually misleading. So like the requirement to have unit tests, if they're not good, um, actually becomes sort of a, a burden in this case because it had misshaped objects for the API. So what it, it what I thought was the right object according to this test was just completely wrong. The documentation, as I, I had mentioned, um, the standard had changed. So like the standards didn't match what they did. And then like the, the comments, um, were not really there and the coding that I had talked about without meaningful names and so on, that was also problematic. So it's like the, even though it's a new API, I'm dealing with legacy code written by somebody who's not even there anymore. Right. Man, that's and rough. how long ago was that code <clears throat> written? Uh, 2018. Okay. So not, not terribly not long enough long to explain anything. Yeah. <laughs> Mary, how does that, 
compare to to your experience at a at a newer startup that is still growing very quickly? Mm-hmm. It's really kind of there is no like steady normal time. You're always just trying to like keep up. But it's cool because I get a lot of say on everything, you know, like front end to back end and how everything is um, designed and whatnot, you know, I'll actually be asked my, you know, my opinion, or they'll just like, give me something to do, or maybe like, I'm managing a particular project. And so it's just like, a lot of freedom. But all that freedom comes with like the knowledge that like, we have a product we had to put out, we're trying to like grow for our investors, we're trying to do all this stuff. And so it's like, there is no time to make things as you would necessarily want them. Sometimes there is, but most of the time you're really just trying to like keep up with those requests. I think what I've found is that you can definitely keep uh, working on code uh, to get it the way you really want. But every time you get it there, you're going to change your mind and realize you wanted something slightly different. So that time pressure might be a gift. (laughs) (laughs) I'll, I mean, I'll take it. <laughs> we've done, we've managed to do like a lot of stuff. It's kind of mind blowing, actually. I'm, I'm curious, Mary. So as you sort of transitioned from like doing small slices of things or small parts and getting more help to being a little bit more, sounds like you're given things to do and it's up to you to decide how to do them. Like, what is your process for deciding have I decided correctly or should I go search for help somewhere? I'm just kind of curious, like, how do you, how do you Mm -hmm. self critique and self regulate with that responsibility? Well, um, I am one of three out of five devs on our team and I was the third team member. So we have like my boss, who's the CTO, and then we have our software architect and then there was me and we've had two people after that. So on the team, aside from those two, I actually know the most about the code base. So what ends up happening is a lot of people actually come to me to ask like if this is a good decision, if that makes sense, because I just happen to have like quite a lot of knowledge of how all the pieces fit together. Um, and for myself, when like when I'm self-regulating, um, I'll generally just come up with my own idea of how I think it should be best done. And then I'll talk to our software architect and see what he thinks and I'll make any adjustments there. Um, but for the most part, I'm always just trying to do like the thing that is the simplest solution. That's generally what I'm trying to do. I think that's a solid approach to most problems. <laughs> yeah. Try, try to be very simple. I like to tell myself the stupidest thing that could possibly work. <laughs> oh, good one. <laughs> I like that. So it sounds like, Mary, you also ended up in a code base that had very little overlap with the, the stack that you learned in, in your bootcamp mm-hmm. experience. Um, mm-hmm. What would you say, if you didn't, if you weren't taking the stack that you knew, and taking it to your job, what was it that you learned in your bootcamp experience that helped you to, that you were able to apply to a new stack? What, what would you, how am I trying to phrase this? 
<laughs> I think I know what you mean. Like, how did yeah, I it's... how did I transfer my knowledge of React and Express and all of that stuff into Angular and Django? How did you translate them? And also, what what did you learn that that maybe you you may not have even been aware at the time that you were learning that was relevant across platforms or across hmm. different different technologies? Well, I mean, basically there are some very simple truths in programming, you know, like when you're doing front end, you're always going to have a DOM and there's always going to be like API calls and you're always going to, there's just like these couple of things you're always going to be working with, you know, HTML and CSS. There's just things that are just true everywhere and every framework and whatever, you know, like language, or there's just like some certain principles that you'll always be able to say, you know, hey, we did it like this in React, so I bet there's a similar way to do this in Angular. It's all about just like working those, there's a, the simple truths and then trying to think of like what you already know and see if there's a similar way to do that. Yeah, I, I would say that that remains true with every portion of code that I've worked on is that there are just certain uh, concepts that transferred and it, it's really a lot of its skills um, so like the, the ability to debug effectively, it doesn't Ooh, matter what environment that you're in. Uh, yeah. there are certain concepts in that, such as narrowing where the bugs live or, uh, writing smaller functions so that you can find the bug immediately. Cause that's the function that blew up. It has two lines in it. It'll only be one of those two things. <laughs> Um, and as you get into like things like C sharp, where the stack trace becomes vital and logging becomes vital, um, that's really paid off for me. Having small, well-named functions is just like a lifesaver every day. Mm. I like that. I, I really like that you said debugging. I feel like that is the most important universal skill that you must know. And, you know, like. Look at consoles, look at your like, you know, network tab, like all of those stuff, all of those things, like it's, it's going to be important. Uh, what's jumping to mind now is talking about those, those universal things and debugging and documentation and something that Aurora said earlier, where you were having to navigate an environment where some of the information was not accurate. Uh, and I, I feel like that rings very true for me. And I'm just kind of curious, do you have any other thoughts about like, how do you how do you deal with working in an environment where you have to be not just skillful in solving problems, but also in trying to in interpret a potential field of lies or inaccurate or outdated <laughs> information? Lies obfuscated by clutter. <laughs> um, it's, it's, you know, honestly, experimentation. Uh, if, if you look at the code and you think you know what it means and you can check that you did understand it, I say go for it if you can. Um, the ability to experiment, to sort of uncover the truth of the code, if it's mis like misleading variable names or nondescript variable names, um, or it's comments that say this function does these things, but it, that's like three iterations old and it no longer matters. Mm -hmm. um, it, 
it's very important to be able to not just believe that you know what the code does, but to sort of be able to prove it to yourself so that you can confidently build on top of it or make adjustments to it without exploding it later in some hidden way. What what balance have you found to strike between code, comments, and documentation? I only comment if I have to, as in, um, it for me, uh, it if there's a comment, it means that I couldn't make my code clear. So mm -hmm. variable names um, and uh, sort of making it very plain. Uh, something I've recently adopted is uh, sort of scope, uh, trying to abst uh, sorry abstract things. In within a block of code, all at the same like sort of level, um, and that what that means is I'm doing this thing so that I can do this thing so that I can do this thing. If I can't read through it like that and I start getting too muddy, then I haven't like made it clear enough. Um, at, if something just has to be efficient enough and it has to be a bunch of loops or something, and and you can't really name it with clear methods for some reason, or I can't like break it out because I don't have time. Uh, that's when I go for comments. And for documentation, uh, man, I wish that we had more documentation in a better way. But honestly, the documentation within our department is um, always misleading. And mm -hmm. I'm going to put a readme file at best uh, if I can help it. because. What happens is we have, being at a large company, we have these internal tools for uh, storing and creating documentation in a very like wiki sort of format. But the problem is if I'm working on a code base and I can't find that uh, documentation for some reason, or there's not a link out to the proper documentation, well, I create a new one. And at some point in three years, we have 10 pieces of documentation at various versions of out of date. But different people found those along the way and updated one thing. So now they're all timestamped as being fairly up to date. And right. that sort of nightmare <laughs> is where I started to avoid it. If you can do auto-generated documentation from your code, so like a lot of .NET stuff will generate API documentation and so on, um, that is wonderful. If it generates from the code, I'm all for it. If it's something like a wiki, I am terrified of it. <laughs> Mm -hmm. Yeah, those are always very, very hard to keep uh, up, up to date. I was just talking with uh, another Ben, a different Ben, one of the, the TAs, and we were talking about, because he asked me this question too, and I think my answer was that, much like Aurora, my comments tend to be apologies, uh, <laughs> and I, I phrase them as such. <laughs> And then for documentation, definitely, if I can have like a big chunky paragraph, like at the top of a file that maybe like explains the reason why, but hopefully won't become invalid just because the code changes. I feel like those are the types of uh, co comments that I like to leave that it's like explains like the why and tries to avoid mentioning variable names or function names. Yeah, it sort of describes the responsibility for the class or the file. Yeah. Then, yeah, I, I've heard that before as well, and I've I've tried to follow that on occasion, but uh, that was early in my career, and I got way too crazy with it. 
it went out of date very fast. <laughs> I learned better now. But. <laughs> Aurora, you mentioned something along the lines of uh, if, if something has to be fast enough to you have to use loops, then it's not as clear and um, yeah. you'll leave a comment. It, so can you talk a little more about the about striking that balance between clarity and performance and and so the, how much you consider any of them? Yeah, yeah. Um, I I will always go for clarity first, and it, it's very rare that um, anything needs to be so fast that I can't abstract some methods out. However. Um, because of the environment we're working in and some of the patterns that people follow, for me to make an adjustment to code that would be more clear than what already exists, it's very hard sometimes. And so uh, many of them follow the pattern of a giant loop with internal loops and then declaring everything and passing it like passing these variables throughout all these different loops. And then like at the very end, you return it all. And uh, when you have that, parsing that out is, is very difficult. Uh, reading it is very difficult, which is kind of the crux of the whole situation. Um, but occasionally there are items that just become, a, become your bottleneck and um, if I'm noticing a significant performance impact and I cannot get that like set of loops or intertwined logic into its own function without having to repeat the loops like several times, um, that's when I go ahead and leave it. And then I lean really hard on variable names. And if at the end of the, all the variable <laughs> names, it's I still don't feel like if I sat down to read it, I would be okay in a few minutes. Um, that's when I start making comments and trying to like, sort of like Colin said, apologize for the mess. <laughs> it, it's just- Mary, how does that- Oh, go ahead. <laughs> oh, I was just gonna, gonna ask how that compares for Mary. Like what, what is your sort of uh, performance to clarity to like, what, what is your, where do, where do you weight those considerations in your code? How much is performance well, an issue? It's actually a really big issue for us um, because we just have so many interrelated parts and systems. Um, so we've actually had to do a lot of work on just, I don't know, streamlining everything in Django. There's a lot of stuff that's just kind of done automatically. There's lots of like joins and nested serializers and all of those kinds of things. And so now we've gotten to the point where we're just like very careful of you know what information we're looking for and um you know how badly do we need every single piece of this information what we can we get rid of what can we like you know uh prefetch like all of these things because for us actually the the seconds do really add up a lot um and it's really important to you know have people getting their correct information and notifications and like if a driver is available or whatever, like speed's really important for us. Uh, what's been going through my head for the last uh, little bit is just sort of reflecting back. So uh, Ben and I have had the, the opportunity to both be your instructors and now years later be in this interview. And it's striking <laughs> me just how like 
how credible uh, this conversation is as a conversation between four de developers. And I think Ben and I are holding back a little bit more to ask questions and hear your responses. Uh, but I'm kind of curious, like, have you noticed that? Uh, how much your your relationship to, to technology and the way that you talk about it, that that has changed? Oh, yeah. I feel like I'm way more chill about everything now. <laughs> I think I, I used to be super afraid of saying the wrong thing. Um, and I mean, you know, if you say the wrong thing, that's fine. You know, it's not, it's not like you're necessarily having to prove your knowledge every second of the day. And then also I have a team that's really close and we like joke about a lot of stuff. So I feel like that might have also influenced you know, the relaxation of not having to feel like I'm on all the time. I've, I was, I've uh, definitely I was, oh, go ahead, Aurora, sorry. <laughs> oh, I was, yeah, I, I've definitely changed over the time in, in the sense that I uh, just accept that, it, and this is going to sound really mean for a second, but nobody knows <laughs> anything. Nobody. Oh, it's so true. No, so everybody true. recently did a thing, and that's the thing they know. If you ask them in a year, they don't know that thing anymore. Nobody knows anything because <laughs> there's too much to know. And just sort of accepting that. And as Mary said, just saying the wrong thing is so not a big deal in so my day-to-day -day day life. Yeah. That like I, I have people that are so far up the food chain from me that are in meetings and I say completely the wrong thing and I get called on it. And I'm like, oh, yeah, no, that's totally the thing I meant to say. It's fine. And everybody's like, yeah, but but are you sure? I'm like, yeah, yeah, no, no. That's the thing I wrote down earlier, but then you didn't have that in front of me. So now <laughs> it's it's just it's fine. Like the I I think I've gotten more abstract in the way I talk about technology and code. Um there as you mentioned, Colin, uh you're uh one of my instructors and you gave me a mock interview once and the way you talked to me really heavily affected me in how I communicate about things. So you want to know, a state machine, right? Like some sort of state component or class or something. And that really like anchored how I thought about, oh, this is just a, a generic responsibility. And so I started talking more in generic responsibilities as time went on. So I've sort of converged towards the way you spoke to me back then. <laughs> I I was listening to uh, another dev podcast, and I'm going to paraphrase here, but he basically said that the difference between basic uh, difference between a junior dev and a senior dev is that the junior dev is very concerned with being right, and the senior dev is much more concerned with being not wrong in that mm. there are just there are so many ways to do anything and so many different concerns that you could optimize for and there are certainly wrong ways to do something but there's almost never a a perfect right way to do it and that's a thing that that you that's perspective you gain with experience mm. yeah i would say that that's I'm not saying I am the senior dad, but I am definitely saying <laughs> that's like where I'm planted, especially when, uh, again, going back to that code base I mentioned that I, I inherited, it looks like it was written by three different people because the same thing was done three different ways. And instead of trying to uh, initially worry about getting it all the same way, I was like, it all solves the same problem. <laughs> it's fine. Oh, um, yeah. Letting like learning to let stuff go. 
You look at somebody's code and you're just like, oh, this is terrible, terrible, terrible. And then you're like, you know what? It works. I'm just going to not think about it because I have like 2,000 other things to think about right now. Yeah, I found it it was really important to learn how to like in reviewing code or talking about code, how to pick those, those battles, like which things are just not the way that I would do it and which things are actually going to cause problems. Mm, yeah. yeah. And I've recently had that experience in spades. Um, I, I have a developer that is working on uh, one of these APIs with me and I've had to like delegate because of time commitments that I have. And uh, he's not somebody who's done a lot of like web API style coding. And I've not done a lot of .NET web API style coding until the past couple of months, really. Um, and so the, those like generic or general concepts that I was talking about sort of transferred and we had that discussion earlier, sort of communicating those to him and then him asking me questions of, hey, uh, do we need to do this a different way? And me looking at what he did and just saying, it works. It's fine. <laughs> Instead of, hey, it's not the way I would have done it, which is what I would say about most of, of the kind of code he writes because he comes from a very computer science background and I, I come from this sort of uh, like practical background, I guess is a way to phrase it, where I've focused a lot on um, thanks to the the boot camp and my early experience in my career, can someone else read this? Can someone sit down and and work on my code? Because when you have two people working on a project, if one can't can't work on half of it because you wrote it, then it's just a really bad situation. <laughs> um, sorry, tangent. <laughs> no, but code is meant to be. I mean, you know, code code is spent. Code, oh gosh, how can I conjugate it first? <laughs> Very late at night. Oh, man. This, this, I'm going to take a note here to lightly edit this minute. Code is meant to be redefined. Uh, what's that? Code, code is, is meant, meant to be, to be redefined. redefined. Yeah. Code is meant to be redefined. Code, code will be spent, you will spend, you know, how many millions of times, how many millions more seconds reading code than writing code? Right. No, mm. than executing code. That's it. <laughs> oh my god <laughs> where the hell am I <clears throat> I'm just going to cut that part out that'll be fine <laughs> you know right? code is code I'm the designer <laughs> but, but no I, I get what you're saying and I, I agree like it's just it's one of those things that early on I had a hard time accepting that I shouldn't do everything the most efficient way and now efficient is uh is more about optimizing for dev time or reducing the mental burden, which is a huge mm. part for me. I've yeah. had several 14 hour days over the past couple of weeks. And, you know, when you're on hour 12 and you're sitting here reading these Lambda expressions that are like arrow functions with no names, but X and X dots ID and <laughs> so on. It's just like, uh, okay, I, I need this to say what it is so I don't have to figure it out because I'm so tired. <laughs> yeah. We had uh, a question for Mary and Roy. Do you have anything, like, any skills that you're working on right now or, like, looking forward to, like, you know, when I'm 
next year I'm going to be doing stuff like this, or I'm going to be solving problems on, on this level that you're just not, you're just starting to, to see that on the horizon. Ooh, uh, actually, yes. I, um, I recently had a chat with my boss and I said that, you know, we've spent so much time working this year and like really keeping our heads down that I feel like I've kind of plateaued in my knowledge. Um, so I kind of asked him like, well, what do you think? You know, I want to learn more. I've been just randomly reading things off the internet. Like what's your advice? And he said like, you know, design patterns are, you know, something that are always going to be useful. And so I started reading design patterns. I even have a small book club with someone. <laughs> <clears throat> yes, Mary and I, that's my, my dirty little secret is I've never read uh, Gang of Four. Even though I'm very certain on your last podcast, you recommended design patterns, and I'm pretty sure I laughed really hard at that. Did I? <laughs> it's some, I can't remember if it was that or if it was something else. But anyway, um, yeah, mm -hmm. so I've been learning a lot about software architecture, and I think that's really fascinating. Um, and I just want to get better at learning how to make things not have to, or making things that like, you don't have to refactor later on, like code that you can grow into. Like I agree, that's like just learning to decouple things and giving you models that you can think about a problem in. Mm -hmm. um, we've talked about earlier in this episode um, how like seeing similarities within our like software, AJAX requests, uh, state machines, all of these things. Well pattern or design patterns are sort of seeing them in the larger problems, right? It's, it's the same sort of tool. And I've found those to be incredibly useful, uh, throughout, like even whenever I was working on the front end in react. Mm. I, I mean, it kind of almost just ties back in the question that you guys asked us earlier, like what are things that helped you, you know, move forward when you didn't have as much knowledge as you have now. And I mean, just knowing those practical things, you can learn how to do anything, you know, like anything you can just go on the internet. But if you have these like solid foundations of, you know, logical patterns that work, I think that's going to be a really big ally for anybody. And it will come through in the way you think too. And when you frame it that way, Mary, uh, mm -hmm. it's terror, absolute terror is what drives me. <laughs> um. <laughs> <laughs> it's it, well it, it's i've uh i've had a from talking to my friends and and peers i've had a fairly unique experience around uh not having much in the way of senior developer uh leadership in my first and in this position um and the on, honestly the terror of I have no one to turn to <laughs> uh, is what yes. pushed me to learn not just new technologies, but to learn about, hey, what are some, as, as Ben would probably say now, not wrong ways to do this. <laughs> uh, I was asking the question back then of what is the right way to approach this? Uh, but very quickly, that's too time consuming. You just have to go for it. <laughs> And what is Not a good wrong. enough way to do this so that I don't regret it so much later? <laughs> I feel like my words are getting twisted just a little bit. <laughs> no, I totally see it. <laughs> taking your words and applying them to the emotional state I was in at the time. 
but I, I mean, in all honesty, uh, my first uh, position was again at a very small startup, and uh, the front end lead developer had uh, slightly less than a year of experience at the time I joined. And oh that wow! Was the, I didn't know that. That was the most senior developer, front end developer there, uh, and me being from like a previous life in project uh, management style positions, I was looking at the things that were coming up and going like, these are the problems we have to solve and none of us have the tools for it. So I was reading and watching videos for things we had to solve in two weeks or a week every morning on my commute and on my way home and spending an hour or two in the evening sometimes just trying to stay ahead of what I saw as like the eight ball, because if we got to that point, I was afraid that if none of us had any idea what to do, that there's no telling what would happen. <laughs> now that that was maybe a little hyper vigilant of me, but that that really was just sort of this uh, fear that I wasn't like we were gonna just hit a wall and nobody was gonna have any idea. To be fair, we all would have just researched at that point and figured it out together instead. So uh, I was going to say hitting a wall and having no idea is certainly a state of affairs that has occurred before <laughs> in a startup. Yeah. <laughs> right. <clears throat> Sorry. I oh, you're fine. You no, I was done. <laughs> <laughs> well, we've been at this for a while. Uh, any, any, Anything we've left out? Anything you are dying to tell your past selves or stand-ins for your past selves? Oh, man. I don't know. It's corny, but just believe in yourself. That's not corny. That's <laughs> If you don't believe in yourself, you're not going to make it through a boot camp. That's for sure. <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> uh, <clears throat> lean on your team more. <laughs> that's, that's, the, the whole spill I just went on like really passed me if I could have learned to trust my team more um, I think it would have been a much smoother ride so believe in yourself but not only yourself yeah <laughs> I think that's a good summary yeah yeah alright well this has been fun y'all yeah yeah okay, really ready it. to record part two yeah <laughs> <laughs> Is this our Monday night thing now? <laughs> uh, sure. And <laughs> yeah, maybe I think if we get more like specific to topics, it'd be great to have you back. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. 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 Great. Um, Mary, Aurora, uh, would you like to direct our listeners to any, any place on the web where they can find you or learn about you or reach out to you? No is a perfectly fine answer if you <laughs> wish to maintain an era, an aura of mystery. Oh yeah, definitely. Uh, I don't like to see the, the, I'm like more of a back room kind of person. <laughs> I don't need to be exposed oh. to the public. <laughs> I mean, it's, if you want to see a very outdated version of a portfolio website, you can go to bond.fun. V-A-U-G-H-N dot F-U-N. Uh, but I don't recommend it. It's not a great, it's not a great experience, uh, but I'll, I'll have to update it sometime soon. 
I mean, I guess on that note, you could technically go to uh, marywarwick.com <laughs> and see the same thing. Well, that's a very unfun site. You know, <laughs> not all of us have the right, right stuff, but... <laughs> so maybe a future episode will be what web presence should a developer keep? Mm. That's huh. a great idea. However, that's a great idea. <laughs> some of us would never do it. <laughs> <laughs> I, think that, I think that's actually kind of a controversial idea. Yeah. Or at least there are a lot of a lot of different uh, ways you could go. But on that note, should we call it? Yeah, let's call it. This has been as yet unnamed podcast. <laughs> <laughs>